0: That last song was just beautiful, you guys. It was just—it's one of those times you just want to sit and just listen and close your eyes and just let the, the words wash over you. So thank you so much. I want to ask you to pray with me this morning, as we go to the Lord before we look at a word. Look at His Word, Father. In this in this hour that we have set aside, that we uh, seek You and we seek communion with You. Lord, you know that there are just so many competing voices out there—personal, um, national, global—that just want to distract us. I think of the just that we turn our ears and our eyes toward you to hear from you, and that we ignore maybe even the praises and the blames that we receive from other people, but we want to please you and. Father, forgive us when we have these confused thoughts that hit our, in our minds, in our heads, that, um, in our wild imaginations that drive us away from you, our shallowness, and Father, we ask that you give us a stillness of heart this morning, a clear light to God our path, a clear light to fall on us and, uh, and show us what's on our, in our soul. Father, we, give it, we ask that you give us a great sense of your power and glory so that we can see clearly as we uh, continue on to live for you. Father, keep us and protect us from our own ignorance. Give us the understanding of your wisdom and your vision. Father, we are content to leave our lives in your hands. We are also content to leave our loved ones in your hands, and knowing that you love them more than we do. Father, we ask that we want to leave the causes of truth and justice in your hands. We want to leave the cause of the kingdom in your hands, and we just count it a privilege to be a part of it. Father, we thank you for this body this morning that have come together to praise you, to, to enjoy fellowship, to enjoy conversation, a conversation that is centered on you. And Father, we pray for those that um, are unable to attend, that are unable to be here because of illnesses and, and um, just not being able to make it out. We ask that you be with them and that you uh, open up ways for us to minister to those who have not been able to get back. And so, Father, we commit the time to you as we look into your word, we want to hear from you this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, one of the, uh, let's see if I can, <coughs> hey, works. <laughs> That's always a praise, eh? when the remote works. You've got to love technology. Uh, one of the things I do, uh, you know, do appreciate these days of technology is this whole that just kind of revolutionized the entertainment business, is uh, this the streaming idea? I still, you know, put that on and still can't wrap my head around how this thing even works, and uh, it's, it can be a, it can be maddening at the same time. You know, when you when you got all these things coming at you that you got to keep subscribing to, and you know when they move the Star Trek canon over to Paramount, it's like okay, now what are we gonna do? We have to we have to subscribe to Paramount now, you know and uh, and then you know we get, we get to see the second season of Mandalorian so we we're gonna have to subscribe to Disney but we thought, well, Sue and I try to limit how many services we stream to so we say we're gonna have to cancel one before we start another one and you know you know all that stuff. Uh, well, one of the things that we both sue and I really like are British detective series and shows, British murder mysteries and um, and I like them, you know, I, I can do the hardcore stuff, a little harder, you know, the little brutal things. Uh, Sue likes what she calls the cozy murders, you know, um, <clears throat> they're, they're kind of just nice, you know, and so, but we both like them, we both like them, even the old ones and the new ones. And uh, one of the things <clears throat> that are, that is just amazing to me on these British shows, I, I have a hard time understanding them. I'm always asking Sue, what, what do they say? What, you know? I, 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 you got to clarify for me, especially if they're from Ireland or Scotland. I don't even know if they're speaking English, you know, from Ireland or Scotland. <laughs> but the wonderful thing about it, I can push a button on the remote and say, please show subtitles, and sub- t- subtitles come on. And I can read and, and follow them and actually understand what they're saying, even if they're from Scotland. I can understand what they're saying. And that is just such an amazing thing. When we talk about hearing from God... And hearing, like we talked about last week, the gentle whisper, or like some translations call it, the still small voice of God, that is the heart of the problem uh, for for millions of Christians is that we want to hear from God, but we just it 's just not always clear, and we just say if you just give us some subtitles, you know maybe i 'd be able to understand a little bit better. sometimes it is clear sometimes uh, it 's very clear what God is saying to us. it could be an emotional experience with Christ. it could be the, the time when you First knew, and first, first knew forgiveness and you first got to know God through Jesus Christ, that kind of overwhelms you. And those kind of things are obvious. Maybe you're reading scripture and some, and some words just leap off the page to you. Uh, maybe somebody in church speaks something to you or something that, you know, it's very, very obvious. But oftentimes you just say, I could use some subtitles here. I, I need a little bit of clarity here on what's going on. I'm not really knowing what's, what's happening here. And we want to hear God speak loud and clear. But it's not just possible to hear God. I submit to you that, this, that listening to God and God speaking to you is not only just possible, but I want to submit that it is, prob- it is probable that He is speaking to you more than you realize. And I submit to you that, that, that you can converse with God at a level of intimacy that you may not have ever imagined. And I think part of the problem that we don't hear from God is because we really don't believe that. Well, I want to say that I don't think it's not only possible, that it's more like it's probable that He is speaking to you than you think, than you realize. And this level of intimacy is possible for you. Hearing God speak is not a technique that you perfect it is a gift that we receive and I think that is important that we have to understand how our relationship with God looks how does the relationship with God functions and and if we don't we, we just will lose the whole point we have to get to the main point of what this is all about and that's one of the reasons we're going to look at two passages quickly this morning and one of them was the one that that uh, Rob just just read and that is Colossians chapter 1 in the first part, verses 1 through 14. And when we look at Colossians chapter 1, it, we kind of want to jump down to the last part of it because it is so rich in theology. It is so great, that last chapter, because it, it, Paul is talking about how the fullness of God is, dwells in Jesus Christ. That if we want to see God, we see Him in the person of Jesus Christ and, and it, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ. But what we kind of skip over is that introductory section that Rob, led, Rob read. Because that is really important. Paul loves the Colossians. He has a great admiration for them. He says that their fruit has been been known in Colossae, but it's also been known in other parts of the world. That their their faith is is kind kind of famous, actually. And then he goes on to pray for them, and he basically prays for three things. He prays that they will know God. He prays for their that they will be full of wisdom and understanding. And he prays that they will experience God's power and strength when things go bad. He's praying that they will know God, not just know facts about him, not just sitting in a theology room and say, Yeah, I know know about God and know things about him. He's saying that you know God, you know his character, you know him like you know your friends, your spouse, your children. And then he says, I want you to be, I pray that you'll be full of wisdom and understanding so that. Not again, just so you'll be smart, but so that that you will lead, be able to lead healthy, meaningful, flourishing lives. And then he says, I want you to experience his strength and power so that you will experience, when you go through hard times, you will get through them with gratitude, patience, and joy. So those are the three things that he's praying for, for these Colossians. That this is what it's all about. That this knowing God, knowing wisdom and understanding, and knowing his strength and power. And they already have met Christ. They're already, they're already believers. So he's just praying that they have more of what they've already tasted. And You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're a toddler tasting ice cream for the first time. They don't know what that is, but all they can tell you is that I want more of what I have in my mouth. You know, what I have in my mouth, give me some more of that. Well, that's kind of what he's saying about the Colossians. He's saying, you've got that in your mouth, and I'm going, to, I'm going to pray that you have even more of it because it is so rich. It is all about knowing God when we want to hear from God, knowing Him, receiving wisdom, full of wisdom and understanding, and the strength and the power to get through when things go south. The other passage that I wanted to look at is John 15, 12 through 15. Because Colossians kind of tells us the What? What are we gaining when we hear God, when we listen to God, when we have this level of intimacy with God the Father? What do we, what do we gain? That's what it is, this understanding, this wisdom and strength and, and knowing of, of God personally, a character. But what's the path to get there? And I think John helps us here with just a few verses. Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. What's the command? To love one another as he's, loved you, as he's loved us. That's the command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned. And from, father, from my father, I have made known to you. That's the level. That's the path. Jesus is inviting us to be friends with him and friends with God. Now, I don't know if we really truly grasp that, what he's talking about. Back over in Luke 6, 17, there's another little parable that I think throws some light on this. And Jesus is telling telling, some parable, there's kind of some random statements, And and the disciples ask, How do I increase my faith? And he goes on to say, You have a faith of you need the faith of a mustard seed. Great. And then he talks about. What if you had a servant, a slave, and he's working out out all day in the field and you're home, you know, whatever, reading a magazine, whatever, and he comes in and you're not going to say thank you to the slave because he's done his duty. And he says, you're not going to say, here, sit here, slave, while I go get you something to eat. No, you're going to say, go get me something to eat. And then after I eat, then you can have, then you can have some food because you're just your duty. It says, then you will say, then the slave will say to the master, I am an unprofitable servant. I just do what I'm told. I don't think Jesus is giving us a command here. I think he's drawing a contrast. He's drawing a contrast between faith like a mustard seed and what it means and what it looks like to be an unprofitable servant. I think the NIV translates it worthless servant. And so the question is, how do we become a profitable servant? I submit that we become a profitable servant by becoming a friend that Jesus is calling us to something deeper than that that we just do we don 't just do the duty the slave is just someone who waits around till the master tells us what to do and we go and do it if you 've got a business, you want somebody who 's got their heart into the business that 's going to work for you, not just someone who waits around and tells us until you do what you know you 're told to do. I remember working in the restaurant. <clears throat> And he's been working in restaurants for about seven or eight years. And we'd be talking around, you know, when it's slow, just talking, you know. And then we see the manager come and we have a rag to start, you know, start cleaning. That's what a slave does. You know, that's what a servant does. You're just kind of killing time until the manager comes. And you're just going to do what you have to do. And Jesus is calling us to something more than that. He is calling us to be friends. We don't want a kid, a son who grows up and just does what he's told to do. We want somebody who's going to be with us and knows what's going on and knows what to do. And I can't think of better illustrations than children. And, you know, when Katie was small growing up, I mean, she would be playing with her dog or playing with her friends or maybe getting into the peanut butter or the cheese. Katie and I have serious cheese issues. We really like cheese. Um, But that's okay. Okay. She doesn't. She's not sitting around waiting for me to tell her to go play with the dog. Or, or sometimes she does have to wait and I have to tell her to go do her homework or whatever. But as she grows, she does what she wants. And when she says, Dad, what should I do? I say, "Do what, you, what do you want to do? And hopefully she does the things that are in harmony with our values. As our daughter, as our child. And she doesn't have to wait around. Now, she's 36 years old. How do you think I would respond if he was, she was constantly calling me and saying, Dad, what do I do? What do I do today? What do I do this afternoon? I would say, what do you want to do? Do what you want to do. And hopefully her wants are good and her desires are noble and authentic. If she would say, Dad, what do you want me to do? I'd say, what I want you to do? I want you to grow up. I want you to grow up and be an adult woman. That's what I want you to do. And God, being the perfect parent, says the same thing to us. He wants us to be our friend. What's a friend? Because a friend knows the business, knows what's going on. We don't have to be told minute by minute. And that's the level of living in the kingdom. As a slave, as an unprofitable servant, we're just waiting around being told what to do. And we can make sure I don't steal or lie. But I will never know what it's like to live as a friend in the kingdom. I just know I'm not supposed to steal and lie. This is different. This is a total different level of intimacy than just the unprofitable servant. That's how we understand and that's how we hear God's word. This is what he wants us to do. Now, one more thing I want to say about this is that friends are very individual. There's a lot of variety in friends. It's the people who are enslaved to sin and their own desires, et cetera. Those those people look alike. They maybe have different different addictions and things, but basically they, they look very similar. But it's the people who want to be friends with Jesus that he loves the variety. He loves the differences. And we ought to love them too. We ought to love those differences too. That friends of Jesus are individuals. They're different. Now, I know Paul calls, calls, calls himself a servant. I know Paul calls himself sometimes a slave. I know that. But Paul is on the other side of the friendship. He is a profitable servant, not a worthless one. He is on the other side of that friendship, and that's what we want. So when we talk about God speaking to us, a lot of people will say, but we have the Bible. God no longer speaks to us because we have the Bible. The canon is closed. We have God's word. And I even had one person tell me, this is years ago, say, well, if God's speaking to you, then let me take the back page of my Bible and write it down because it belongs to the Bible. The irony of this is they say they believe the Bible, and the Bible teaches us how God communicates to us. Amen. And so they say that God doesn't talk to us or doesn't speak to us, that we can't hear him. They're actually denying exactly what the Bible teaches because all their faith is in the Bible. He does tell us how to speak. He does tell us how he speaks. Let me go back here. I'm not finished yet. For example, we know that God sometimes speaks through a phenomenon and a voice, like the burning bush with Moses. Or when Abraham had divided the the, uh, sacrifice and this boiling pot of water went through it, A boiling pot to consume the sacrifice and and he made the covenant, he pronounced this covenant. It's a phenomenon with the voice. Sometimes it's an angel or a messenger. Abraham had three angels or three messengers visit him. Lot had two more. Both Mary and Joseph had angels visit them in some way. Angels and, and, and messengers he speaks to us. Sometimes he speaks through dreams and visions. And we've seen that all through, the, all through the, uh, the, the scriptures as well. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, Peter had the vision of the, of the food coming down from the sky. Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia and so did Ananias and Cornelius. They all had visions from God, dreams and visions. Sometimes it's just an audible voice, like when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac and the voice said, stop. It's an audible voice. Sometimes it's just a human voice. It could be a word from a prophet. We see that all through Acts. And sometimes, and most common, and most general, and by far, most often, is the human spirit. That's where God will speak to us in this subjective way, is through the human spirit. Through our thoughts. Proverbs says that uh, that our spirit is a lamp in God's hands that explores our innermost parts. Paul tells the Corinthians to have the mind of Christ. In other words, think the way Jesus thinks. These thoughts, these spirits, this is how God communicates. This is the most common way he communicates to us through the human spirit. Now, you may be sitting there going, hey, if you know your Bible, you may be saying, well, Jeremiah says the heart is evil, and uh, no one can understand it. And Isaiah says, well, your thoughts are, God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And those are all true. Those are all true. But they don't cancel out the truth that God is changing you, that God is transforming you, that God is speaking to you, changing your spirit and changing your thoughts so that you do become in having the mind of Christ. Now, this is not a fix-all. And yes, that voice is infallible. But we're not. And sometimes we mess it up. Sometimes we get it wrong. But that doesn't stop him from doing it. And that doesn't stop him from changing us. That's how he speaks to us in the most common way. So how do we listen for that gentle whisper? That still, small voice. Bill Munk told me this week, and I told him yesterday I was going to quote him. So I warned him about this. That he said he thinks that God speaks in a small, still small voice because those who are intently listening are the, ones, the only ones that hear him. And I think he's got something there. I think he's right. And I think this is what the Bible teaches, that we have to be listen. We do have a role in it. We do have a place to play. We have to have faith. We have to believe that God speaks to us. We have to believe that God wants to reveal and have this intimate level of conversation with us. If we don't believe it and we're not going to hear it, we have to have a desire for God's way. And that may even mean that you feel uncomfortable. That may even mean that you feel uh, that, that unsatisfied with what thing, the way things are, the way things are in your life and your family and your work, it may feel like you're unsatisfied because when we're satisfied and feeling all comfortable and cozy, we don't really want to hear from God. But if we think that things are not right, we have a desire for God's way. We have a great love for God and a great love for God and a great passion for his will. And we have to have humility. We have to have humility. This is God's way. Humility is probably the surest way that you will be hearing God speak to you knowing who you are. When God was speaking to Miriam and Aaron after the exodus and Moses, he tells them, he says, you know, I I will speak in dreams and, and, and events and things like that to you, but with Moses I speak face to face. Why? Numbers says that because Moses was the most faithful person on earth. It says, No one is more faithful, no, more, no one is more humble than Moses on the face of the earth. That's why he speaks to you. Miriam and Aaron, they were jealous of Moses. And God's saying, I can't trust you with this kind of knowledge because of who you are and where you are. You were jealous. Moses, I can trust. Why? Because he is the most humble person on the face of the earth. Now, I know as human beings, we like the spectacular. We, we're like Miriam and Aaron. We want to see something great. And God, God does do something the spectacular. Sometimes like the shock and awe that I talked about last week, God does do that. But it's when that's when we all depend on it and when we want it and when we seek it and we use it to prove that I'm right or to prove that what we're doing is great. When it does happen, we speak about it in a very reverent voice. things like that happen with humility and God does it out of his own will not because we manipulated him not because we convinced him to do it that is childish to want a miracle to prove that you're right that's that's the way a child thinks we speak to it with humble, with humility and, and reverence now God does supply us with some subtitles to help us get there, to help us understand some of these things. One of them is the Christian community. We need each other to help us focus in on that, maybe sharpen the, sharpen the picture a little bit, sharpen the message a little bit. We need each other. I need you when, uh, when I get too big for my britches, as we say in Texas. You know, I need you to tell me that, tell me the truth. I also need you to tell me the truth when I feel worthless and useless and unforgiven. You need to tell me that. We need to tell each other that. We need to to tell people when they need a correction and tell people when they need encouragement and when they need love. We need the Christian community. That is one of God's subtitles. The world and events around us, what is happening around us, sometimes God will use to clarify what he is wanting us to see and wanting us to hear. The natural world. And those of us who live here in the Northwest, we're very familiar with that. I hear hear about that all the time. And God does use the natural world. And every time we go to the coast, Sue always comes back saying, realizing how small her problems are. Just by looking out at the ocean, you know, she realizes just everything is back into perspective. And God will use that in our lives to declare worship. How many times have I sat here singing with, with the worship team and just get an eye full, eyes full, full of tears? Sue says she cannot sing, um, it is well with my soul without crying. For some reason, music speaks to me, and music speaks to all of us, I think, and, but it is, it is probably the most powerful thing in the world. I usually am touched by God more by music than I am the sermon. Sorry about that. <laughs> Prayer and silence. Sometimes it's just sitting in silence. The scriptures, of course. You're reading something and God is dealing with Israel and something tells you this is, what God is, this is how God is dealing with you. And the sacred reading of Scripture. We talked about that earlier, several weeks ago, the Lectio Divina, where you pray the Scripture back to God. You meditate on a psalm, a phrase, a word. You read it over and over again. And sometimes a spiritual guide or friend will help clarify. So God does use all these things with us But the most common subjective way he communicates to us is through our spirit, through our thoughts, this quiet voice, this gentle whisper, if we are listening, if we are listening. What do I do when I want to hear from God? I'll just give you a a kind of a general view of my, it helps me, okay, maybe it will help you, I don't know. So, first of all, I, I ask God straightforward for what I need or what I want. Hopefully, my wants are in line with His, in harmony with His. That I need encouragement at this point, or I need someone to, to affirm, or someone to correct me, or someone to hold me accountable. I need something. I tell God exactly what I want and what I think I need, and then I pay attention. I pay attention to what's going on. I pay attention to scripture. I pay attention to what I hear. I pay attention to the thoughts that come to my mind. I don't obsess over it. And it's really interesting, when I don't obsess is when some of these things come. So I just ask. I ask straight out. You know, what is it? I ask for enlightenment. I ask for a thought. I ask for teaching. I ask for guidance. And if it doesn't come or if it's it's still vague, I'll say, God, I need some clarity here. Can you clear this up for me? And sometimes I'll put in a, a limit, like two or three days. You know, just if you could clear it up for two or three days. You know, and if he still doesn't, and I'm still not getting it, I'm still not understanding it, then I will ask, is there something in me that's stopping me from hearing what you have to say to me? Is there something in my heart, in my soul that's clogging up the the conduit, the pipe? And if I still don't hear anything, then I assume that God is saying, you decide. You do it. You go. When When I got out of college, I was trying to make a financial decision. And I called my dad and I said, what do I do here? And he said... I'm not going to tell you. You decide. You decide. He wanted me to learn how to make those decisions as I grew up. And God being the perfect parent will sometimes do that for us. He'll say, you decide. I trust you. But he doesn't just say, you decide. He says, you decide, and I will be with you whatever you decide. I will be with you it's the same thing my dad says. You decide, and I'm there with you. Whatever you decide, I'm on your side. And that's what God tells us. You decide, and I'm there behind your back. I got gotcha. you. That's what I do. That's how I handle it. If it helps, fine. If you've got your own kind of method, that's fine too. But that's what I do. My biggest failure, my biggest failure is that I don't ask Enough. I don't ask often enough, and I fail because of that. I need to ask more often. I have mentioned uh, Stephen Freeman before. Uh, many of you read his essays that he puts out every week, and um, uh, thanks to Gigi, I, she turned me on to this guy. He is—he uh, is amazing. He's wrote found a few weeks ago. Uh, he wrote an essay on the problem of the particular. And uh, it, I don't, didn't really buy everything all of his implications at the end, but he diagnosed the problem perfectly. He says the problem is the particular. He says it's, al- it's easy to love almost anything in the general. It's the particular that's hard. And he quotes Linus from an old Peanuts cartoon where said, Linus says, oh, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. And that's true. We love the general. We, it's, that's easy, and that's more true than God that with God than anything else. We talk about God in the general. The, he's omnipresent. He's omni, omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all. He's in all. He's with all. And we and we can love that God and everything. But but when it gets down to a particular God, that's different. He says he goes on to say that a particular God won't offend you. I mean, a general. I'm sorry. A general God won't offend you, but a particular God might but also a general god can't love you but a particular god can a general god won't speak to you but a particular god can and he says this is the problem we have to take god in this whole general but we have to realize we are dealing with a particular god that he is not in the abstract that he's not theoretical that this is true with god that a General God cannot lead, but a particular God can. Soon, our, our big supporters and, and uh, involved in Renovari, which is, is a group, it's a ministry that their purpose is to help people develop this with God life, this Emmanuel principle of with God life. And about 15 years ago, we went to one of their conferences in Houston, and uh, uh, Dallas Willard was speaking. And he told us to do this. He told us to recite this every single day. I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. I am, an un- this, I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And he says, repeat that to yourself every single day. He says, especially if you get older, when you get lumpy and uh, ragged, and, you know, it's just not the same as it used to be. You're not as pretty as you used to be. You're not as handsome as you used to be. Uh, I'm not near as uh, muscular as I used to be. Just kidding. But repeat that. I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny. We are a created particular people with a particular God who wants a particular friendship with us. And he wants us to move into that level of intimacy, of conversation. We must understand that relationship or we won't be hearing from God. We have to understand that God wants to speak to us. And he is inviting us into a friendship with him. Not a master-slave relationship. But a friendship who knows what's going on and we act without being told every minute without fulfilling a duty we act because we are friends and we are co-laborers with him we are going to celebrate communion this morning Uh, the family table the communion table is the one thing that has transcends all those years all history of the church transcends every culture every every church celebrates the family table celebrates communion every church does it is the conduit i believe the primary conduit of god's presence and god's grace this is the thing that we cannot ignore unfortunately we have a lot of protestant churches have de-emphasized the the table the lord's supper uh, because they were were, were protesting uh, catholicism And yes, maybe they had gone a little bit too far as far as idolatry maybe in in the mass and made it central. But the pendulum swung too far. And I think the the Lord's table is the primary conduit for God's presence and God's grace. And we say, in contrary to any kind of changing of the elements, we say it's a symbol. But somehow or another, saying that it's a symbol has kind of de-emphasized it. But... When you say something is a symbol, it actually elevates it. I mean, how many you, you would just say, if I were to say, oh, the American flag is just a symbol. No, for us, it's something very, very important. The American flag is is in our gut. It means something to us. But when we say these are symbols, it means something. Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. Not just to think about, oh yeah, he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He's talking about, he's talking about copying and, mod- and, and following his model in the body. And this is why we do it together. I remember you know, when I was in junior high and high school, kind of growing up in a little bit of fear and dread of communion. Because it was big into us that you cannot take it in an unworthy manner and um and you will you'll hear in fact this is one of my regrets in in mexico was our church would discipline people by withholding communion you know that's just the opposite of what we need but when pete when paul was talking about about not taking communion in an unworthy matter he's talking about the body and what is he talking about in the body in first corinthians the body of christ And I think he's saying that if we uh, as a body are mirroring all the polarization and the division that we see in the world, then we are taking communion in an unworthy manner.